Welcome to the Building the Damn Podcast. Uh, this is Marcus Russell, and joining me today will be Leo from Building the Dam. Uh, enjoy the episode. Joining me now is Leo Castaneda. Leo, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Marcus. It's a beautiful day in the Willamette Valley. Yeah, it's uh, we're recording this Saturday morning. And um, we got Leo here. He's a writer for Building the Dam. And he's kind of our women's basketball expert and comes up with a lot of really funny articles. Um, and so, Leo, you've probably been to more women's basketball games and written about them more than anybody at Building the Dam. And uh, the big news of the day, Carrie Agers just reported that um, the Beavers are probably going to seek out a medical red shirt uh, for Cat. Tudor. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm quite excited that this uh, that we might get an extra year with Kat, um, especially to see her go down basically so early in the year last year. I know she played in you know at least a dozen games, um, but she essentially missed the entire Pac-12 season and the postseason. And so I'm really excited that you know we still get two more years, or potentially still get two more years with her. And she was scheduled to be a senior, a uh, redshirt senior. Did you know if she's a redshirt senior this, or did she take that redshirt year? No, she would have been a uh, true uh, senior this year. So oh, if, okay. if the redshirt comes through, then she would be a, a, a redshirt junior. Got it. Uh, okay. Um, I always thought Cat Tudor was just super reliable, especially from three-point range. Definitely the best shooter on the team. Uh, so that was huge news. And it, it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was an ACL injury last year, right? That's what it sounds like. Um, I was actually there at that game where she got hurt. And uh, I do have a, uh, a bit of a background in the healthcare field and watching the athletic trainer come out in the court, do a, one single test and then basically pull her off the court right away was a pretty telltale sign that she had torn her ACL. Ooh, yeah, I remember that was just brutal for the Beavers. They were playing really well, and then Cat went down, and it was kind of a gut punch to the whole team. Um, tell us a little bit more about your athletic background and uh, sports training or, or what it is. Well, uh, I work as a physical therapist in my day job, but uh, as far as my own athletic background, I I was not a basketball player. I was uh, a swimmer basically growing up and in my adult life I've done martial arts but for the last uh, 10 years I've been working as a physical therapist and I've worked with athletes off and on throughout my career um, but that's kind of the extent of that I guess. Oh wow yeah and have you ever helped anybody uh, rehab from an ACL type in injury before? Yes I've had uh, several uh patients uh, with ACL injuries, both uh, non-surgical addressed and surgically addressed. Um, oh, wow. So I've seen it from both sides. Yeah, it seems like athletes always get the surgery to try to get it to recover faster. Um, and I think, if I remember correctly, Kat Tudor had her surgery shortly after her injury last fall. Uh, so what kind of timeline should Beaver fans expect? Will she be back game one? Will it take a little bit longer than that, do you think? I mean, typically, a recovery from an ACL reconstruction is going to be a, a full-year process. And 
you know, some say even as little as nine months, which would make her available, you know, very early on in the season and potentially for game one. But it kind of depends on how her rehabilitation goes, making sure she has no setbacks. Um, and also, uh, I mean, if there is any setback of any sort, you know, she may have to sit out the entire year next year. But I think yeah. realistically, she comes back probably mid-year, maybe uh, around the time she actually got hurt. Okay. Maybe miss most of the non-conference schedule, come back, Pac-12 schedule type of thing would be a realistic timeline? I would say so. Um, but again, everybody's different. Everybody heals. You know, nobody heals the same way. So hopefully her recovery process is going well and we can see her sooner. Yeah. And of course, this is all speculation. Um, I wrote a few months back after the season ended that the Oregon State women's basketball team could potentially compete for a championship in 2020. Um, but one thing that's kind of has given me pause is injury concerns, not only to Kat Tudor, but there was Andre Aquino, Aquino the new uh, center that sat out all of last year with kind of a mysterious injury. Um, there's an incoming center, Jelena Mirtrivic. I probably butchered that name. Um, I think it was the Serbian center that just committed to Oregon State. She appears that she may have been injured. Um, and then there was there was was it Janessa Thrope that broke one of her fingers or wrist last season. Um, but overall, lots of injuries, and then I feel like we don't get a lot of information from the staff and a lot of updates about that. Do you think this staff is a little more guarded with their injury news than most athletic teams? Uh, I, I expect the uh, teams to be more hush hush about injuries. I don't know, working in the healthcare field in my eyes, uh, you know, we're, we're always hush about injuries because of HIPAA laws. And right. so I'm always surprised that there's always so much information about injuries in sports in general. You know, I figured things would be more like what hockey does, where they are very general about injuries and they talk about lower body injuries or upper body injuries. And but it's funny in this day and age, uh, we can get information about injuries so quickly and, and fairly specific, too. Right. And I think I'm probably used to the NBA basketball world. I'm a pretty big NBA fan. But when somebody gets hurt, it's like as they're carrying them off the court, everybody's speculating, is that an Achilles? Is that ACL? And then um, people find out quickly, like within hours after the game, what the diagnosis was from the MRI. Um, and so that's that's funny that you talk about the hockey world and it's completely different they're a lot more hush hush about the injuries and so um and I guess that would make sense especially at a college level these are kids and they're not going to release their full medical history to to fans like me even if we want to know about it a lot <laughs> exactly and yeah basketball is kind of interesting because you are so close to the action too that you you can see when injuries happen I think a little more than than other sports like such as football where there's quite a bit of distance between fans and the, the action um so back to or the women's basketball team 
am I crazy for thinking that this is maybe one of six or seven teams that can compete for a championship next season? I, I don't think you're crazy one bit, Marcus. I, uh, I, I truly believe that as well. If you think we still have Michaela Pivik in her final year and the things that she did as a junior last season were just amazing, especially in that uh, first two tournament games. And even despite the injuries, I think if we get hit by that bug again, I think Michaela will really <laughs> will this team deep into the NCAAs. But you know, if we can stay healthy and get those centers back on the court, um, I think that'll make her job a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's kind of what I was writing about. I feel like Michaela Pivik, she's a special talent. She kind of goes a little bit unnoticed in the college basketball landscape for some reason. She's not as flashy as some scorers, and she's not really a a go-to scorer all the time. She can definitely score whenever she wants, it seems like. But she's content grabbing rebounds, facilitating um running on the break, making the extra pass, and she doesn't always go to to score 30 or 40, even if it feels like she could. And then there's also uh, Destiny Slocum, too, who really, uh, there was about an eight-game stretch there where she really carried the team, it seemed like. And then she kind of capped it off with that uh, buzzer beater uh, against USC at home, where it felt like she was six feet behind the three-point line and just with a hand in her face, threw up a prayer, and it went in to seal a game. So there's really a lot of options for this team um, to kind of carry the load. And I think that's uh, that's a huge um, progression from a couple years ago when uh, Sydney Weiss was in her senior year, and it seemed like she had to carry the team every single night. Now there's so many options for this team to you know, have a takeover score. And um, one thing I've found interesting, Destiny Slocum, she was amazing her first season after transferring from um, Maryland and having to sit out a year. But she was a highly touted recruit coming out of high school, and she was so good last season. Um, But with her emergence, it kind of forced Aaliyah Goodman into kind of a super sub role off the bench. And um, they're pretty close in... uh, years remaining I think Slocum is like a junior and Goodman's a sophomore um my question is is Aaliyah Goodman gonna start or is she gonna kind of come off the bench again next season that's a good question too and I think uh we're gonna see that in the non-conference uh lineup seeing uh, how coach Ruck tinkers with the the lineup to see what works last year I think Aaliyah did start three games uh alongside Destiny and in the first game, it turned out well. I want to say that was the Civil War game, and Aaliyah had a great game. She kind of, you know, she was the star of of that Civil War win. Yeah. But I don't think it worked out quite as well in the other games. And if you think Aaliyah is kind of the primary backup point guard to Destiny, and so to have them both on the court at the same time, I don't know who would basically carry those point guard duties if, both of them need a breather. Yeah. And uh, I kind of the way that I look at it is um, 
if you think about the Portland Trailblazers bringing it back to the NBA, but they've got those two great point guards uh, and Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and they start them at the same time and they kind of try to stagger the minutes. So somebody's out there um, leading the offense. And then when they're both off the court, the team kind of just tries to hang on and hopefully can keep the game even until one of them comes back in. Uh, so I, I, that's personally what I would like to see is both of them in the starting lineup. Um, but I'm not sure the coaching staff's going to go that direction. Maybe they give up a little bit more on the defensive end when they got two smaller point guards out there. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see for sure what happens. I think, but yeah, go ahead. I think it's going to depend on the health of Cat Tudor as well. If she's not able to get back on the court early in the year, they might be forced to use Aaliyah in the starting lineup for that kind of three-point shooting firepower there. But like I said, it's something that the coaching staff is going to have to tinker with early on in the season and kind of see what works. Right. And um, regardless who ends up starting, both of those players are going to end up playing big minutes when healthy. Um, and I feel like most coaching staffs want to – want to focus in on an eight or nine man lineup. Um, And I was looking at the roster and the Beavers just have so many talented players. It seems like 12 different players could go ahead and play useful minutes. Um, But what are you kind of thinking about for starting lineup and those that are going to be a key part of the rotation for 2020? Well, uh, Another uh, writer for Building the Dam and I, uh, John Sievers, are currently working on a piece uh, where we're kind of going back and forth about who the next starting five might be. Um, So look for that to come out. But right now, um, obviously, you can kind of pencil in, uh, well, not pencil in, you pen in Pivik and Destiny, as well as Taya Corsdale. So you've got two guards and a forward there. So... In my mind, do we continue with the what we've been kind of uh, seeing the last several years is a three-guard lineup with two forwards, flash center, or you know, with the kind of incoming depth in the front court, are we going to see maybe a transition to maybe two guards and three forwards? Because I think the talent is certainly there to put more big bodies out there. Yeah. Um, I don't, did, does that sound like uh, something you think the coaching staff would do this year? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think they would. They have so many big, tall centers that not a lot of teams have in women's college basketball. Um, so whether it's Andre Aquino, if she's healthy, whether it's Jelena Mitrovic, if she's healthy, uh, and then they also have the incoming freshmen like Kennedy Brown. I think all those players are 6'5 or taller. Um, but so Kennedy Brown is the five-star recruit that's incoming. And I'm, I don't know if the coaching staff is going to, we haven't seen her, um, but I don't know if they're going to trust the true freshmen to come in and start right away. Uh, what do you think? Do you think they throw Kennedy Brown out there early or, or ease her in coming off the bench to start the season? Well, she is a McDonald's All-American. Um, she uh, was one of the best players to come out of the state of Kansas. And 
I have not watched a whole lot of highlight film of hers, but uh, from what I have seen, I do believe she is talented enough to step in and contribute right away, even early in the season when the the Beavers are probably playing some of the, I mean, lesser competitive teams. I think she could come in and put some big numbers. So I'm really excited to see how that works out. And plus, there's also Taylor Jones. Um, who's the other highly touted recruit coming from Texas. Um, she's 6'3 and is supposedly quite a defensive player. Um, I want to say she did win uh, a National Defensive Player Award for high school girls basketball. So wow. if we're looking for somebody that's a little more defensive-minded, then she could probably work out early in the year as well. Yeah. And um, kind of what I penciled in as my way-too-early starting lineup was Destiny Slocum, Kat Tudor, if she's healthy, but it sounds like she might not be. So Aaliyah Goodman would then be inserted in. Then Michaela Pivik, Kennedy Brown, and Taya Korsdell. So that's who I had. Um, but I don't know. It's tough. I <laughs> They have so many good players. And um, my another question I had, Michaela Pivik, she was a pretty highly rated recruit when she came to Corvallis. I think she was a five-star recruit. Um, do you remember how big of an impact she had as a freshman, true freshman? Uh, she had quite the impact as a, as a true freshman. She didn't at the beginning of the year, but she eventually made her way in, into the lineup. I can't remember if she took... If, it, if that was the year Katie McWilliams was maybe starting, and then she eventually took over her role there as the two guard but I think the thing I remember most about her freshman year was her I was amazed by her ability to rebound as a not just as a freshman but also as a guard as well I mean she we all know you know how strong she is uh she's quite a you know she's uh throws the javelin quite well and uh but to see her go up for rebounds or you know putbacks um, that's the biggest thing I remember from her, specifically that freshman year. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that makes her the, a really unique and talented player. Is she's she's not small by any means, probably around six feet tall. Um, but her ability just to get rebounds from a position that you don't often see that. It seems like she was the leading rebounder for Oregon State in a number of games, especially big games. Um, and one thing I saw from the women's team last year is they started the season off really strong, and a lot of that was contributed to their outside shooting um, with Kat Tudor in the lineup, and it just seemed like they were started off really hot. And then as the season continued, they kind of um, lost some of that, and especially in the tournament, there was a few games where they really went cold from behind the arc. Um do you think that's a trend that's going to continue or are they going to revert back to their hot shooting ways? That's a good question. Uh, I think if Tudor is back and she's able to pick up right where she left off, I think um, I think they'll find their rhythm again. I think three-point shooting is kind of one of those things, such just like free throw shooting, um, I think it's contagious. Um, so if you've got somebody that can really light a spark and – start hitting it from the outside. I think that relaxes everybody else's touch. And I think that helps the team as a whole be able to shoot the ball as well. 
Uh, we saw times last year where, you know, the free throw shooting was awful. And then there was times where it was perfect. Actually, I think they had one game where they were almost 20 for 20. And I think it's just one of those things. It's like, if somebody's got a rhythm, I think it spreads. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Cat Tudor is going to play a big role in that. But I also think just with the rest of the team, um, the shooting is going to come back and maybe not be as hot as last season, early in the season. But overall, I think they're going to shoot the ball better than they showed, especially near the end of the season. Um, and one thing I wanted to to get out there before we moved on, um, but I was looking up some of the medical redshirt rules for Cat Tudor um, because I remember Trace Tinkle, he when he broke his wrist um, and he applied for that medical redshirt, he only played in six games. Cat Tudor played in 13 games last season. Um, but the actual rule that I could find, it says to gain a medical redshirt for a specific season, the athlete's illness or injury must occur before the first game of the second half of the team's schedule. So they have to play less than half of the schedule, basically. And she played in 13 games, and the team played, I think, in 34 games total. So it sounds like she's got a pretty good reason, and that that shouldn't be a hang-up for the NCAA. So I'm excited about that. I didn't really think of that as a possibility throughout the season. Yeah, that's that's going to be huge if we can have her for two more years. The uh, you know Michaela will be gone after this upcoming season, but if you think what will be returning the year after that, you'll still have Destiny uh, and Aaliyah and potentially Tudor. And that's still a very vaunted uh, backcourt there. Oh, big time! Yeah. Um, and so, what? Looking forward trying to make predictions who do you think is going to be a breakout star um for this team i would say my uh breakout star is going to be taya corsdale i feel like she's just one step away from being a potentially an all pac 12 performer yeah she, um, um i think uh we saw all times in the beginning of last year where she was really hot from the three-point line. But as we kind of got into the Pac-12 uh, conference play, um, I think the coaching staff was relying more for her to step up defensively. And so we saw her guarding, spending a lot of energy guarding some of the other um, big forwards in the conference. And I think that kind of took away from some of her offensive game later in the year. You know, She's so unique. She's what I think six three, and she can shoot the three. Um, she can drive to the basket. I just I, what I want to see this next year is her to develop a back to the basket game, um, and then I think she'll just be a complete player, and then hopefully finish her career, OSU career either. Uh, well, in two years she'll finish her career, but I'm hoping this year or the next she'll get that All Pac twelve team nod. Yeah, that would be great for her and great for the team. It's, it's really fun watching um, Taya play because I feel like she can do everything out on the court and she's kind of the glue um, person that she does whatever the team needs, whether it's hitting three-pointers, grabbing rebounds, um, finding the open person. And so it's, she's she's great. She's not like a high-usage player that needs the ball in her hands to make an impact. Um, but she makes an impact in all these other different ways. 
Um, and who is kind of a newcomer, whether they've sat out last season or their incoming freshman? Obviously, Destiny Slocum was the newcomer breakout star last season. Uh, but what do you think about for 2020? Who's going to be that newcomer breakout star? I talked about her a little bit. I, I think it's going to be Kennedy Brown. Um, I think I think everybody's mostly expecting Andrea Aquino to maybe come in and be the, the newcomer breakout star because she's been in the program for a year. She sat out with that injury. And gosh, she's, what, 6'9"? So, but Kennedy Brown, she's 6'6". Six, six. She can really move for somebody that tall. And I think she'll be able to kind of ease into the lineup with the, the non-conference schedule. I think, I think she's going to really surprise a lot of people with her athleticism and uh, her ability to kind of be all-around player. So I, I, she's my choice right now for newcomer. Yeah, I'm excited for Kennedy Brown. Um, I think I read that she kind of wants to be more of a face-up player instead of just a back-to-the-basket post player uh which surprised me because at 6'6 she's going to be taller than almost everybody out there on the basketball court but if she can develop uh a long jumper long long two-pointers even out to the three-point range that's really going to open up Oregon State's offense and going to give Destiny Slocum more driving lanes to the basket and really make the team hard to defend uh, so I, I agree with you I think she's going to be a big surprise and, and really help out the team next year. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add about the, this team before we moved on to a different topic? No, I'm just, a, I'm just excited for the upcoming season. I renewed my season tickets this last week. Nice. That's, that's awesome. I'm uh, a little worried about the team down South Oregon. It seems like they're Sabrina, of course, uh, returned instead of entering uh, the WNBA draft, and they've been adding a lot of high-profile recruits. So the Civil War is going to be another huge game. It will be, but I think uh, I think the Beavers still win at least one of those games, despite um, Sabrina returning for to Oregon for another year. Yeah, they, yeah, experience. That's the biggest reason that I'm high on the Beavers as well, as they've got a lot of seniors next year, um, and that kind of experience they've been in a lot of big games and they've been deep in the tournament every postseason so I think this could be the year that they make a run to the final four if not more which is what I'm hoping for um but moving on a little bit uh, I wanted to talk about football we're still a couple months away from the start of the season um but it looks like FanDuel and a couple other sites released their um, projected wins for Oregon State football, and had them at 2.5 wins on the season. What are your thoughts on that? Would you take the over or under on two and a half wins? I'm going to let my optimism take over here and say I'm going to take the over on that. I want to say Jonathan Smith uh, shows us a little more improvement and doubles our win total to four. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm leaning that direction as well. Um, but looking at their schedule, it's hard for me to pick out three definite wins on the schedule. I think they're only going to be favored in one game, the Cal Poly game. And even at Hawaii, I think they're going to be underdogs. 
And so to get to three wins, they're going to have to pull off a couple upsets. Um, who do you think, which teams do you think the Beavers could potentially upset and get those three wins from? Well, it wouldn't be an upset, but, I, you know, probably at home. I think a lot of people are picking us to, uh, you know, have that second win uh, against Hawaii, but I think that's going to be, that's going to be tough, but, uh, you know, they probably will pull that out. Um, the, when you look at the schedule, you know, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty in the Pac-12 because there's going to be a lot of turnover on some of these teams. When you're looking at teams like Washington, and now I'm not picking them to beat Washington, but Washington's going to have to break in a new quarterback. Um, Browning was the quarterback for, what, four years, and so yeah. they're going to have to get his replacement settled. Arizona State's going to have to um, replace our Gosh, can't remember his name right now, but another long time starter. Like Manny Wilkins or something like that? Yes, Manny Wilkins. So Mm -hmm. that would be an upset I would choose for sure. And so to find that fourth one potentially, you know, you might be looking at a uh, UCLA who was kind of down last year or potentially uh, a Washington State who's breaking in, maybe breaking in a new quarterback as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I mean, looking at the schedule, I'm a little disappointed the Beavers aren't playing Colorado again because um, it seems like they might be in for a little bit of a down year and the Beavers would have confidence after that 28-point comeback last season. Um, but they do have UCLA on the schedule, Arizona State, like you said, Washington State, um, even maybe Cal. If, uh, if their defense regresses at all. And I think a sneaky game that, I mean, Oklahoma State is the home opener. Beavers are going to be 15, 16-point underdogs in that game. Um, but Oklahoma State, their biggest thing is they have a really talented offense and kind of a weaker defense, but they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback as well. And the Beavers are in the same boat. So if it's a high-scoring game, where both the defenses are struggling, that kind of favors the the underdog in my eyes. What do you what do you think about the home opener? I'm definitely excited for it. Um, I'll, I'll probably be going to that game. Um, I was a season ticket holder for football um, until this uh, upcoming season. I did not renew my season tickets just because of well, they're expensive and. <laughs> I've got a significant other in, in graduate school, so I've been trying to cut costs. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'll probably still be there for sure. Um, yeah, and I think that's going to set the precedent for the season. Um, yeah, is Oklahoma State going to come in here and blow us out and everybody's going to think like, oh, here we go again? Or are we going to just, are we going to hang tough and maybe lose a closer game than most people think and inspire a little hope? Or are we going to see a team that's going to punch Oklahoma State in the mouth and still win? Yeah. Um, I'm excited for that game as well. I wish it was August 31st already. Um, (laughs) So the biggest question, obviously, well, besides Oregon State's defense and specifically if their defensive line is going to show any improvements, is the quarterback controversy um, before Jake between Jake Luton and Tristan Jebbia, 
who do you think has the inside track to start the season? And who do you think is going to be the quarterback to end uh, the season? I think it's going to be Jake Luton all the way. I mean, I think this is the only time in his college career he's had the same offense, essentially, for the second year in a row. Um, hopefully he's got the injury bug behind him. Um, and you know, I think watching uh, his progression this spring, too, I was really happy with some of the throws that he made, especially now he's got a guy uh, such as Josiah Irish, who's by far the fastest guy on the team, it looks like. Um, yeah. He's got a legitimate like speedster that can kind of separate away from defenses. I think we'll finally get to see Luton show off more of that big arm of his. Yeah, that's going to be fun uh, for sure. And I, I've i always kind of been a big Luton fan, um, perhaps more than the average Oregon State fan. Uh, I think he's got a big arm and he – He's tall, can read the defense, and as long as he's got a little bit of time and he's got somebody open, he really can make the offense move. We saw glimpses of it, especially against like Colorado during that comeback. Um, but when he's rolling, there's not many quarterbacks better than Jake Luton. Um, but I am surprised that Tristan Jebbia is kind of, it seems like he's taken a back seat a little bit to Luton. I think most fans thought he was going to win the starting job for sure once he uh, transferred from Nebraska. Um, what are your thoughts on on Tristan Gebbia? Is he going to be content to to stay behind Jake Luton, um, especially if Luton stays healthy all season? Well, um, I you know the old adage that the most popular guy on the on the football team is the backup quarterback, and yeah. I think you know we saw that a lot with Beaver fans. Like, oh, you know, he's going to come in and you know be the savior, and it's not quite looking like that right now. But I mean, there's still a lot of time before the season starts. But um, I don't think there's any reason to hang his head if he's unable to see Luton this year, because I mean, Luton's only got one year left, so. Either way, uh, it's probably going to be Jebbia's team um, the next year for two years. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I'm excited. I think the offense is going to be better than it was last year, and it's going to surprise some people about – I think it could be one of the top – maybe the top five, top six offenses in the Pac-12. Uh, but the big question is, of course, the defense and – if they can show any improvement because uh, you can't win a lot of games when you're not making a lot of stops. I wanted to ask you a few random questions. So I've been looking at the odds for college football and uh, my wife is taking me to a wedding. Um, and so we're going to this summer. So we're going to have to drive through Vegas a couple times. So I'm planning to make a few sports bets while I'm there. So I thought I'd get your input. <laughs> um, so we got odds for the Pac-12 championship, Heisman odds for 2019 season, and who do you think is going to win it all for college football in 2019? Ooh, I'm not sure if you want my uh, my betting advice, Marcus. The last time I uh, <laughs> laid any money down was uh, Oregon State in the uh, Las Vegas Bowl uh, back in – Oh, what was that, 2009 when they lost to BYU? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're all the better, am I correct? Yep, I did go to BYU. And uh, besides the Oregon State 
um, Oklahoma State game. I'm anxiously waiting for the BYU-Utah game, first game of the season. Uh, but Utah looks like one of the favorites to win the Pac-12, so that's not encouraging. <laughs> and speaking of Utah, so if you really do want my betting advice, I think they're the, I think they're my front runner for the Pac-12 championship. I know a lot of people have got Oregon and Washington at the top of their list, but like I said about Washington, they're got to they got to um, break in a new quarterback after Jake Browning led that team for four years. And I'd be very impressed if uh, Coach Peterson was able to uh, insert uh, a transfer in Jacob Eason into the lineup and have him carry the offense. Um, we know the defense is, pro- is likely going to be good, um, as they've always been under Peterson. But uh, I just I just don't see it happening for them. And then Oregon, yeah. I, I'm just not buying the hype. Um, I just, you know, and being a, a Beaver fan, I just can't, I can't bring myself to choose them quite yet since we, right. I don't think I've seen, seen enough from them to warrant a big championship run. So that brings up Utah for me. They've got a lot of guys retrain on that, uh, defensive line that are just monsters. I think they've got two, um, all pack 12 returners coming. Uh, on that defensive line. So you know that defense is going to be good. And then uh, they have some experience coming back on offense. So I think they're going to be the most complete team. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that Pac-12 championship? Yeah, I I believe in Washington a little bit more than you, I think, just because I believe in their depth and the recruiting. Um, and I think Jacob Eason's going to be real good. But I, I'm with you. Utah is a smart bet. They're consistent. And I think Arizona could surprise some teams, but then they could also go four and eight and be another huge disappointment if everything falls apart. Oh, well, I'm not, uh, I would tell you, I'm not buying USC uh, either. Uh, I just, I don't think Helton's the guy for USC. Um, I think they've really underperformed. So to see them, you know, potentially facing the, what are they in the odds, you know, to be fifth? I think they might even be lower than that. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you with USC. I think um, they're constantly overhyped because of their recruiting rankings. I have that in air quotes, but it seems like they, they have a lot of guys that are highly recruited, um, and then they just don't pan out for whatever reason. And I'm, I'm with you. I think Clay Helton should be – shouldering a lot of that blame and to be honest I'm, I'm, I'm surprised he's still the head coach at USC yeah it is kind of shocking with the turnover they've had at the head coaching position you know it's been kind of a carousel at times uh since Pete Carroll's left and so I'm surprised that Helton's lasted this long he had that unanimous support from the, the players I know a few years ago and I think that's probably is what kept them there so long but I think the I think the seat's going to be pretty warm for him this year yeah yeah I agree um one team I did want to ask you about is Washington State it seems like under Mike Leach they're the exact opposite of USC they don't get a lot of big recruits so they don't they aren't projected to have really solid seasons. And then like last year, I think they finished in the top 10 
in the, the nation, and they had a great year um, behind a grad transfer quarterback. Do you think Mike Leach has it in him again to have another season that exceeds expectations, or are they going to kind of come back to earth? I expect them to come back down to earth a little bit. I think he, uh, Leach uh, caught fire in a bottle there, or lightning in a bottle uh, with Garner Minshew last year. Um, I think he was the just the, exactly the right guy for the for the job for Washington State to come in for one year and you know have the season he did. Um, I'm I just don't see Mike Leach sustaining that success that they had last year. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, I've gone back and forth. I think. Reading Bill Conley's preview of Washington State, they they just don't have the recruiting rankings that a lot of other Pac-12 schools have, and I think he only projected them around seven, seven and a half wins. But then again, Mike Leach has proven time and time again that he's going to make the offense move no matter who's at quarterback and that they're going to exceed expectations. So I... I've gone on back and forth. They're they're really one of the teams that I'm watching that I don't know what to expect from them. Um, did you have any any thoughts about who might win the Heisman next season? I think it's uh, probably Trevor Lawrence's um, trophy to lose at this point. I mean, after what we saw in the playoff and the national championship game last year. I mean, obviously he's the front runner and, you know, I think he leads the odds in that as well. Um, But the fact that he's the quarter, the quarterback on the national championship team and a team that's likely on its way to returning to that national championship, I think it's going to be really hard to see anybody else steal out a word from him. Yeah. And does that mean that you're, you're picking Clemson to win the whole thing next year as well? Yeah, I, I think I would have to I would have to lean that way for sure. Um, you know, that was one heck of a machine last year that we saw. And granted, I know it's 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 hard to repeat as national champions, but um, you know, until the season starts, they're going to be my choice for this year. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, looking at some of the schools, you know, or some of the the guys that can maybe make a run challenge. Alabama or Clemson, and I think Georgia might have the best shot. Um, they're going to have to to beat Alabama probably to get into the college football playoffs, or maybe there'll be two SEC teams from that um, in the college football playoffs, which would be a bummer. But I think their quarterback, uh, Justin Fields, no, sorry, Jake Fromm, um, He's got a shot. If you're a quarterback for a college football playoff team, you're probably going to be in the Heisman race. What do you think about that? I, I, I think that's a, a good uh, dark horse there. Um, or if you can even call him a dark horse, I mean, he's a quarterback for one of the best teams in the <laughs> in the country. But uh, right? And, yeah, he did unseat, uh, who's a Jacob Eason, who's now at Washington, yeah. um, when he was a freshman. So. Yeah, he's obviously got a lot of talent. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that matchup plays out between Georgia and Alabama in the SEC. Yeah. Yeah, that'll hey, be Marcus. fun. 
Do you have a do you have any hope that there's going to be a Pac-12 team in the in the football playoff? I I honestly don't. <laughs> as bad as that sounds, <laughs> I think Oregon under Justin Herbert, they're a good team. I think their defense is going to hold them back a little bit, and they're going to drop a few games, um, knock them out of the the playoff race. There, Washington, I think has Washington has the best shot. But they're they've shown to be inconsistent at times, and they're going to drop a couple games. And then Utah might have the best shot, just coming from the south. Um, but again, I don't see them having one loss or zero losses on the season. And that's which they've we've seen that's pretty much what it takes to get into the college football playoffs. So I think those three teams are good. I don't think any of those three teams are great, though. What are your thoughts? I agree as well. I don't. I think the Pac-12 will be shut out for another year. Uh, Utah's my choice to to win the Pac-12, but I think they'll have a couple of losses on on their record as well. Yeah, and one thing I, I found interesting is everybody kind of. Um, pours on the Pac-12 talking about how terrible they are because they've been shut out of the uh, college football playoffs but top to bottom the Pac-12 has actually been around the third ranked power five conference um then they've been ahead of the ACC every year but because the ACC has Clemson um, the national perception is that they're a better conference than the Pac-12. And I think that trend is going to continue for another season, unfortunately. Yep, that's that's likely to be true. And it doesn't yeah. help when the Pac-12, uh, what was it, two years ago, they went one for eight in bowl games? <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's another measuring stick the Pac-12 hasn't done great at. And I don't think should be used as a, a measuring stick for strength of conference. But, I mean, that's how it goes, and that's how people get their national perception of all the different conferences. Um. Well, thank you, Leo. Did you have anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, other than the, just a go Beavs. Yeah, go Beavs, and thanks, Leo. Have a great rest of your day. You as well, Marcus. Thank you.